Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Devotion. I saw Opal. Opal, you were first today. Joy, I saw you there. Aaliyah, thank you for being here. Kimberly, Mary, Jonathan, thank you. Thank you for making this special and just seeing the amazing things that God is doing through you, that you are the one that makes this happen. You're the one that's so faithful. You show up here every day, just lifting up one another's hands, encouraging one another, praying for one another, leaving prayer requests out to the side. Thank you for doing it and just making it a special time. During this uncertain season, something that we can gather. Can't believe it, Friday, November the 20th, 2020. Oh my, what a year. What a year. Here we are at the close of a work week, whatever that looks like for you these days. But we know that God is still in control. And I believe that God is speaking to us today. We've got a common question. We ask it all the time. I ask myself, you may ask yourself, we all know what's coming. We read the Bible. We, we search the scripture like the Bereans of old who were more noble than those at Thessalonica. They searched the scripture. We've looked at the end of the book. We've seen God's ways of dealing with man for many years, but we wonder what's stopping, what's stopping the inevitable from happening. Yeah. What holds it back? What do I mean by it? Well, two things in this devotion, two things that I want to talk about today. First, what is stopping God's judgment? Second of all, what prevents the awakening from breaking out in our midst? We are the last generation, the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. We know that. We have awakened to that ourselves, that we are Remnant. We are the remnant to bring a renewal and restoration. I believe that we, we are running anchor in this race and there's a mighty cloud of witnesses. We, we sense that it can't wait much longer. What keeps God from judging this earth? What keeps the awakening from happening? Now, I will tell you this, Brenda and Debbie, Josie, Carrie, I had zero intention when I went to sleep last night to speak about this this morning, but I can't get away from it. So guess what? It it was either not enough coffee this morning or maybe the Lord's speaking, and I believe it's sort of the latter. I was stirred in prayer that God longs to do so much in our midst, and God wants to show himself strong. But we, in a way, limit the Holy One of Israel. And so if you would allow me today, what holds it back to lingering obstacles? And I ask you to share this today, um, not just so that it can be shared. Um, there's another reason I'm asking you to do that today. I, I'm not asking just for devotion to gain more followers, although like, share, follow. You know the rules. I, I just have a very specific reason to ask you to share this today, and I'm going to explain it at the close. If you feel impressed by anything that I say today, hit the share button because God has a purpose for it all. Take that, that impression as being 
from God. Here we are in the midst of pandemic, social distancing, shutting down, the rise of a one world empire, as we saw yesterday. We are seeing the end of times fulfilled before our very eyes. What holds it back? It, first of all, speaking of judgment. Jesus compared his coming and the coming judgment to two things that happened in the book of Genesis, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. And we can see that we're living in that time. Our day rivals those days for wickedness. What did they do in Noah's day that they're not doing now? What did they do in Lot's day that isn't happening right now? Was Nineveh any more or less righteous than what this world is now? We live in an age where people of faith are being silenced, canceled, shunned, mocked, ridiculed. We live in a society that it's okay for liquor stores, marijuana shops, strip clubs, casinos to be open, but not churches, where it's okay to burn down buildings, but it's not okay to gather and worship in those buildings. We find the same opposition, if not in some ways worse than previous generations. Yes, They sacrificed children in Babylon to their chief deity, Marduk. Yes, the Canaanites sacrificed children to their deity, Moloch. But can that be compared to the loss of unborn life today in terms of number and even intent? We live in a wicked day that's growing ever, ever darker. And remember this, God will never repent to Sodom and Gomorrah. He will never repent to a pre-flood world. He'll never repent to Nineveh because God is just. The corruption we face today is immense and even sinister. Why hasn't Jesus returned and judged this world? What's holding that judgment back? Well, there's one hindrance, one obstacle to that. It's as old as Methuselah. And it's as timeless as Abraham. Why do I bring up those two names? Because when you compare the coming of the Lord is compared to the days of Noah and Lot, and you can't talk about Noah and Lot without talking about Methuselah and Abraham. They played a significant role in delaying the judgment, in holding back the judgment. Put simply, what holds judgment back today, this lingering obstacle is what deterred it back then. It's the mercies of God that are activated through praying people. Oh, can I get a witness to that? Amen. Amen. Methuselah, you may recall, was the oldest living person named in Scripture. 969 years old, lived before the flood. His father, Enoch, was a godly man, so close to God that God took him home to heaven. Methuselah was Noah's grandfather. Henry Morris in his commentary on scripture said that Methuselah's name means when I die, judgment will come. Others say his name means when he is dead, it shall be sent. It meaning judgment. It meaning the flood. It meaning the great deluge, that coming predetermined judgment upon the world. Do you see what I see in this man's name that God permitted Methuselah? When I die, it will come to live longer than any other, to show that he's merciful. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Every mother and father of a prodigal ought to be saying, live a little longer, Methuselah, because the mercies of God have not run out. Oh, praise God. Live a little long. Methuselah is yet alive. That means judgment when I come. Do you know that the year that Methuselah died is when the flood came. I say live a little longer, Methuselah, because when you die, it's coming. It's coming. There is a lingering obstacle to the judgment of God, and it's the mercies of our almighty God. The adjective most used of God in scripture is holy. God is holy, holy, holy. That's what the angels say, shouting around the throne of God. He's holy, holy, holy. But there is another adjective used quite often to describe God. And it deals not just with his holy justice, not just with his holy character, but with his merciful nature. The apostle Paul called him the father of all mercy, 2 Corinthians 1. The psalmist and the apostle John combined to picture the presence of the Lord as one that flows with mercy. 41 times in the Old Testament, we're told to praise God for one reason, a simple reason, that his mercy endures forever. 26 times in Psalm 136, the psalmist urges us to praise God for his abiding mercy. 26 times in one psalm, we're reminded to praise God for his goodness. 26 times, we're reminded that he creates, he delivers, he sustains. 26 times, we're reminded that any goodness God shows is just his mercy. It's not merit on our part. 26 times, one for each letter in the English alphabet. We're reminded that from alpha, omega, beginning to end, A to Z, God is merciful. We ought to praise God in morning devotion for that great mercies of God. Would you just give it up for the mercies of God, the mercies that endure forever? Something about God, he just seems discontent to leave mercy in the singular. He likes to get mercy in the plurals. And so you read in the Bible, it's not just mercy, it's mercies. He's the father of mercies and is rich in mercy, Ephesians 4, 24. God's mercies are called many and he multiplies them to those in need, Nehemiah 9. His mercies are called great and he magnifies them to cover all of our needs, 1 Chronicles 21. His mercies are called sure, steadfast, and he expands them to those in need. His mercies are called tender, and with tender mercies, he carries us along. His mercies are called unfailing. The fig tree may fail. The vine may fail. The grocery store shelves may be empty. The barns may be empty. The 401k depleted, but the Lord's mercies are unfailing. Yes, he is rich in mercy. Oh, praise God. Can you give it up for the mercies of God? So the the lingering obstacle to the judgment of God, what is holding back judgment? There is a lingering obstacle. It's what Moses saw, mercy for thousands, mercy for thousands of needs, mercies for thousands of transgressions, so much mercy. God is is loving kindness personified. This is where Abraham gets into the picture. 
When God told this father of faith that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham interceded and asked God to be merciful. What hinders the coming judgment to this world? In November of 2020, what is stopping the judgment? It's people like you and me acting in the role of Abraham, the intercessor, saying, God, have mercy. Hold back the night. Keep those apocalyptic horses in their corrals. Keep back the sword of judgment. God, show mercy to our day and age. It's his mercy called alive in my prayers and your prayers that is keeping back the certain judgment. So keep on praying, morning devotion. Keep praying. His loving kindness are interceding for those mercies. It's the obstacle that keeps judgment back. But I've got a second question. What holds it back? What keeps back the awakening? Oh, I believe the awakening is already happening around us. We don't see it. But why isn't the awakening coming like a noonday sun? What's the holdup of here? I've grown intrigued of late with the stories that preceded great revivals, like the Azusa Revival, the Welsh Revival. There was a phenomena seen then that God has just not let get off my heart. It must have been akin to what happened in the upper room before the outpouring. It was on a Sunday, June 11, 1905, that the First Baptist Church in Los Angeles had some visitors. Local pastors showed up unannounced. The church they showed up at was pastored by Joseph Smale. Now, that's probably not a familiar name, but Bartleman called him the Moses for the coming Pentecostal revival. Smale had been in contact with the Welsh revival, Evan Roberts, and, and was moved greatly by what happened there. And one of the things in that great and gracious outpouring in the old world of Wales was the seeking of forgiveness. People realized they had wronged others, and they not only asked God to forgive them, they went to the people they offended and said, would you forgive me? I've done you wrong. Oh, wow. Well, I felt something right there. And now the same thing was to be seen in the new world. And that's why those two pastors showed up at that church, pastor by Joseph Smale, the Moses of the Pentecostal movement. They asked to be allowed to come to the platform. One of the pastors, A.P. Graves, had written smell earlier in the week saying, I've said a lot of things about you. I've tried to destroy you, and I need to beg your forgiveness. And now he showed up at the church that Smell pastored, walked up in front of the whole church, admitted his failures, and asked God to forgive him. And from that simple admission, came a release of the mercy. People there that said it was like it was contagious. People realized how they'd wronged one another, began to seek each other's forgiveness. A couple of months ago, I came across a book of A.P. Graves. It's an original compilation of his messages. I bought it, not for the sermons, but I put it on my shelf to admire a man who said, I realized I'd done something wrong and I am stopping. Oh, I'm talking to us right now. I'm stopping the move of God, and I've got to make it right. Do you know that the resulting forgiveness in Los Angeles ushered in the revival that made the 20th century? It was called the Pentecostal centuries. Zero had the baptism of the Holy Ghost at the beginning of the 20th century, 600 million at the end. It was a century of the Holy Spirit. Can I just say, 
I believe that prayer is the catalyst for a coming great revival. Oh my, here we go. But not even prayer, as powerful as it is, can make up for unrighted wrongs. We can't be serious about an awakening if we ignore how we've wronged others. I've got Bible for that. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you're at the altar presenting your gift, it's time for self-examination and reflection. The worshiper is not to ask, has somebody hurt me? The worshiper is taught to ask, have I wronged somebody? The prayer is not to remind God that this person said this about me. No, I'm to ask, have I let somebody down? Have I offended them? Does somebody have ought in their heart against me? And Jesus has said, if you're praying and you're worshiping, one translation says, if you suddenly remember, I've wronged my brother, that you may as well, prayer's powerful, but at that moment, you may as well stop praying. Put up your song and dance, hang up your harp and tambourine, because the first order of business is to seek forgiveness of your fellow man. I just want to say to you, it's not if I let you down. It's not if I have offended you. I'm absolutely certain I've let people down. I'm absolutely certain I've disappointed people and I've wronged people. Oh, I could say it was unintentional and I didn't realize that I was unaware. But the reality is I'm probably more aware of my insufficiencies and how I've let people down than other people really even are. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for letting you down or anybody you love and anybody you know that I've let down. And I just want to pledge to you, I want an awakening so much that if there is that something holding it back, and if I am a barrier, and my lack of seeking forgiveness and asking for forgiveness is a barrier, I want to make sure that I'm not in the way for what God is doing. You see, this is why I want you to share this today. I want you to share it so you can get the word out that Ken Curley is sorry. He's sorry for anybody that he's let down. And maybe it can become a conversation starter with you and your friends and you and your family saying, you know what, if I've done anything to let you down, not if, let's get rid of the ifs. I have let you down. I have made mistakes. And I want you to forgive me because I want to see that awakening happen so much in my life. Can I just get a witness to that? You see, I think we've made a huge mistake. Can I just talk to some fellow believers right now? We, we make a huge mistake when we say, oh, well, God will forgive me, and we don't make it right. I know there's some things you just can't make right. I know maybe those people are gone. Uh, a, few, a couple of years ago in Louisiana, a book was returned to the Shreve Memorial Library. It was 84 years past due. The man's mother had checked out the book in 1934 when she was 11 years old, never returned it. And uh, he found it in her library and he returned it. They waived the fee. They waived the fee. They waived the fee. 84 years late, they waived the fee. But isn't that what Calvary is? Calvary is for the things that we can't find anybody to forgive us. 
It's God waiving the fee. It's not my job, not my role to determine who's saved or lost. But can I say that one of the characteristics of truly saved people is that we realize when we hurt others and we are quick to ask forgiveness. Why, why was David called amends after God on God's own heart? He wasn't perfect, not by any means. But when he messed up, he admitted it. Yeah, you remember when Nathan the prophet Nathan means the gift of God. The preacher in your life who will tell you the truth is a gift from God in your life. And Nathan, the prophet, looked at David and said, thou art the man. And just that quick, David said, I have sinned. I and I alone have sinned. It's my fault. This is all my fault. And the next breath, Nathan says, and God's forgiven you. Yeah, I want to be a man. I want to be a person after God's own heart. And have you ever wondered why they tarried in the upper room for anywhere from seven to 10 days based on the chronology there of the resurrection? If I understand it correctly, that was the same room where Jesus and his disciples weeks early had shared the Last Supper. Do you remember the behavior of the disciples before the communion? They were bickering. They were arguing, uh, even had a traitor in the midst competing one with another. Jesus shares communion with people that are not worthy. That's an act of grace. Yeah, we should count ourselves worthy, Paul said, examine ourselves. But Jesus offers his love to unworthy people. But in that same room, 50 days later, Jesus would not pour out his spirit on these bickering people until they were in one accord, in one place. God loves you and me, even when we're misbehaving, but God will not send a Pentecost. And he will not send an awakening so long as you and I are hiding behind our failures to treat other people right. Could it be that the reason they sat in the upper room so long, but waiting on the promise of the Spirit before it came through was because it took them that long to get right with their fellow man. Pentecost would not happen until that hindrance was removed. If the Pentecostal century wouldn't happen until people made things right as they possibly could, if Pentecost wouldn't happen ushering in this church age, then why do we think an awakening will come when we know we've hurt others, disappointed others, wronged others, slandered others? We are wasting our breath praying until we get things right with one another. We're wasting our breath saying revival is here until we ask one another forgiveness. God's too merciful to let me and you go through the emotions at such a pivotal time that when you go to the Lord in prayer, even today, he's going to prompt a memory, a reminder. He's going to cause you to remember. Suddenly we remember, I let this person down. I didn't treat them fairly. I I repeated a rumor about them that wasn't true. Or I even told the truth about them, but it wasn't in love. I didn't show them the grace that I wish I would have received if I was in a similar situation. It's a Holy Spirit convicting and convincing us with that still, small voice. Should he remind you in prayer? Should he remind you? Yeah, let's get it right. What holds back the awakening? Could it be that it was the same lingering obstacle that held back the outpouring at Pentecost 
and the outpouring at Wales, because the same thing happened at Wales, people started repenting, asking others to forgive them. Same thing happened for the prelude to Azusa. The one obstacle is when we will not beg one another's forgiveness and seek to make things right. You know, this is why I want you to share this devotion today. Because you're extending an invitation maybe to someone who disappointed you. Maybe someone you disappointed. Wouldn't even hurt to just, I mean, just forward it to individuals and say, would you watch this? And could we talk? Yeah. Yeah. You say, Brother Gurley, what is that? I would say it's removing the barricade and the barrier, the obstacle and the hindrance to an awakening in your family's life. It may be what removes the barrier to bring a prodigal back home, letting people know there's mercy here, there's grace here, there's a tender heart. Well, I feel the presence of the Lord. I don't want to be a hindrance to seeing all God wants for us. I don't want to be the hindrance. I don't want to be so right that I'm not righteous. I I don't want to be proven correct so much that I'm looking down my nose at other people. The hindrance to judgment was seen in Methuselah and Abraham. God let Methuselah keep living. God prompted Abraham to keep praying. The the hindrance to judgment is his loving kindness. The only reason God hasn't judged this earth, he is merciful and gives us a chance to pray for mercies. And the hindrance to the awakening, if history is any indication, it's either the lack of people praying or it's a lack of people stopping their prayers and taking time to heal some old hurts. What is hindering you today? I just feel the presence of the Lord, and I'm just believing God. God is going to let us remove that last hindrance to a great awakening, and we're going to see the miracles of God. Would you leave your prayer requests out to the side? Looking forward to a weekend. I hope you have a blessed weekend in your church. This Sunday evening, we're doing a prayer for our nation again, Sunday evening at six o'clock. But leave your prayer requests here. Pray one for another. I want to see that awakening, and I never want to be in the way of that awakening. God bless you. Share this with one another, and may the Lord be with you today and this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.